there was a preschool class and uh, they were outside walking down the street and a fire truck came by and there was uh, on the passenger side in the front seat there was a Dalmatian dog uh, sitting there with its head out the window. So the teacher recognized this as a potential teaching opportunity. She said to her students, what do you think the purpose of that dog is sitting in the, the front seat of the fire truck? And one child suggested, it's a pretty good suggestion, that the, the dog helped keep the crowds back when they got to wherever they were going, where the fire was. Another said that the dog's just there for good luck. Uh, but the discussion stopped and the argument was at a close when a child, a third child said, the purpose of the dog was to find a fire hydrant. Y'all are faster than me. When I was reading through stuff and I read that, I was like, why would that bring it to? Well, my little dog, Jazz, uh, as I thought about that, walking him around, I understood, right? And, and But even more, there is uh, not just the funny part of that, but, uh, but without a fire hydrant, uh, firemen are, they have limited capacity to fight a fire without the water. The, the purpose of the dog may be not to find that fire hydrant, but you need to have purpose. You know, one of the best-selling books of all time is Dr. Frank, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Well, maybe you've read this. Over 10 million copies have been sold in 24 languages. Dr. Frankl was an amazing man. He died in 1997 at the ripe old age of 92. Maybe what you don't know about him is he was trained as a psychiatrist, but he was captured by the Germans and he survived the Holocaust. He was in four different Nazi death camps, working him to the bone. Tragically, he lost all of his family, including his wife. Yet he survived those four different camps. The only person in his family that survived was his sister who had gotten out before they were rounded up and lived and immigrated to Australia. All of this it led to Viktor Frankl writing this famous book. And in it, he said, he wrote the book because he simply wanted to convey to the reader by way of concrete example that life holds a potential meaning under any conditions, even the most miserable ones. And I thought that if the point were demonstrated in a situation as extreme as that in the concentration camp, my book might gain a hearing. I therefore felt responsible for writing down what I'd gone through, for I thought it might be helpful to people who are prone to despair. You know, I, I think there is a lot of stress and despair in the work today. Uh, we talk about uh, existential stress. Victor Frankl, and this is the central point I want to, to bring to you today as we begin thinking about 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26. He said the main existential stress to people is a lack of meaning, a lack of purpose. What is your purpose for the life you've been given? Where do you find meaning in the life you've been given? I believe Paul answers that question in these verses, and I think he says this. I think he says that God blesses the life 
that is willing to be used by him. God blesses those who are used by God, that seek out God's purpose for their life and use the gifts they have to serve him. And so today I want to give you uh, a way that we can understand that. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different purposes within the kingdom. Uh, The way that we ultimately are going to find our our meaning is going to be a little different for each of us. but, But it needs to start with that we get that we all have a gift or two or many to use for him. And we're all to either become approved workers or we're to become folks who maybe keep our gifts on the shelf. Uh, This passage gives us four qualities of approved workers. Uh, Four qualities of folks who are determined to be used by God. The first quality is this, that approved workers are guided by the word. They're they're guided by the word. They're guided by the truth. We begin with verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Remember now, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul has trained up Timothy to be a minister. Uh, Timothy now is in ministry. He, He says to remind the church of these things, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That is someone who has found meaning and served purpose in their life. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles uh, the word of truth or uh, correctly divides. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Clearly, this teaches us uh, the importance of knowing the scriptures. In both First and Second Timothy, Paul brings up that subject. Why? Because even back then, there were lots of philosophies. There were lots of people who would teach uh, different ways of truth. And, and it's like that today. Uh, we live in a world where there are lots of different opinions. There are lots of different isms in this world. And so you see, and uh, we've seen the rise in our country even in the last year or two, uh, you see the increasing amount of quarreling, of argumentative interaction, whether it be online or in person. And we need to understand and see that that God gives us a way to to cut through all that. God gives us a way to understand how to live and to to live a life that is useful for Him, that is meaningful for us. And it begins with understanding our life in the context of His truth. Not from the context of others who perhaps have uh, their own source of truth. We, we understand ourselves first in God's ways. What does that do? It helps to give us content, objective truth to build our life upon, not only to learn with our heads, but to put into practice uh, with our lives 
So we, we know, we learn to know the truth and we start to apply it in our lives. And then we can teach it to others. Now this is not just for vocational ministers, preachers. This is true of all of us. Each of you have the capacity to develop a more and more understanding of the scriptures and to put them into practice in your life and to be able to teach them to others. Maybe not in the context that I do, preaching a message on Sunday morning, but as you interact with them at the workplace, as you interact with them around the dinner table, you're able to, to use this truth to shed light, to illumine the path of those who are confused by so much going on. That's what he's saying. Timothy, don't forget the, the word, the truth, gives you your guidance. The word, the truth, gives you uh, the way to, to cut through all that's going on. And basically he says to Timothy this, <coughs> if an issue that people are quarreling about, if, if something that is at dispute is not black or white in Scripture, then don't join in with the quarreling. I've told you before, it takes two to fight. It takes two to quarrel. And folks will, as they understand you're a Christian, they may want to engage you in argument. They may want to engage you in, in fight. But you don't have to join in, especially if it's a gray area. What I mean by that, it's not clearly, the Scripture doesn't tell us clearly to do something or clearly not to do something. Those are issues of black and white. And the issues of gray, I, I don't think you have to get into a back and forth about those things. You don't have to, to make a clear defining choice. So much of what Christians argue about within the church, so much of what Christians quarrel about within the church is in matters of gray. Even more. Uh, so much of what Christians argue about with non-Christians oftentimes will be matters of gray, not black or white. Wouldn't this help us, I think? Wouldn't it uh, save a lot of energy maybe we devote for, for fruitless purposes if we chose our quarrels carefully? If we chose our arguments carefully? I think we would all be better off in, in terms of uh, our psychic compartment, in terms of, uh, of our attitude and our perspective toward life if we only uh, chose to dispute things that are clearly taught. Second, uh, secondly, approved workers are grounded in whose we are. We're grounded in whose we are. What do I mean by that? You heard at the end of that passage, 17 and 18, he says there are a couple of people who were in the church and who have become false teachers. And he was inferring that if you are grounded, if you know the word, then, then you're going to, to be able to discern what's false teaching, what's not. You'll be able to discern if somebody is, is twisting a black and white area and in, in misteaching or false teaching about that. And then he flows into verse 19, which I think says to us, this is how you stay true to your ultimate purpose. This is how you stay true to who God made you to be. It says, nevertheless, God's foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. One little verse 
but a powerful verse. Uh, one little verse that I think could, could be revolutionary for you maybe in, in your life going forward in terms of, of staying true to who God called you to be. Nevertheless, he knows who we are. You see, what happens in this world is we perhaps get uh, unsure about our foundation. And when we perhaps hear or are misled by false teaching, we can get off track. But what he says is to come back, to always rest in that, that solid foundation. That's why the knowledge and the application of the word is so important. But even more, it's because, or it's the reason that we, we need to rest in, we need to remember our identity. Remember our identity. The Lord knows who are his. That's what he says. And I think by extension, we who are his should know whose we are. You know, there could be a, a crowded group of people. Uh, and I can pick out the voice of my kids among many. I think most parents, you have that similar capacity. You know because you've spent so much time. You know their voice. God knows our voices, and we should know His, the Scripture says. And that means that in those times where we're tested, those times where we're perhaps persecuted, those times where we're in the minority about what we believe at the workplace or even in our family, uh, that we rest in whose we are. We rest in the knowledge that we are God's and He is ours. We are living our life to do His work and to, to please Him, and that makes all the difference. We can rest in that identity. It's a tough world for Christians, and I think maybe we'll become increasingly tougher. But as the world grows tougher, I encourage you to focus even more on God. To understand that your confidence should not rest in your ability, but your confidence should rest in the ability of the one who made everything. Your ability rests in the one who is over all and through all and in all. That's why I love how this verse, you might be skipped over that first word of verse 19, but it to me is kind of a pivot for the whole chapter. What does it say? Nevertheless. Not many of us use nevertheless, but I want you to think about nevertheless this week. Do false teachers seem to abound? The Lord says, nevertheless. Are perilous times upon us? The Lord says, nevertheless. Are, do we fear for the future? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we wonder how the church will survive? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we fear for our children's future? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we see some falling away from the faith? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do we, uh, are we tempted to despair? The Lord says, nevertheless. Do evildoers rise to power? The Lord says, nevertheless. Could persecution come to us? The Lord says, nevertheless. Remember Frankel said the paramount uh, stress uh, to men, as existential stress to men and women is uh, the lack of meaning. I find complete meaning in being a child of the King. And I find complete security in the one who says nevertheless. And I hope you do as well. 
Thirdly, approved workers are growing godly habits. Approved workers are growing godly habits, verses 20 to 22. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So he's starting to move from the, the understanding intellectually into how do you make this happen. It's talking about how, how do we make ourselves completely useful to God? How do we make ourselves, if we're willing to be used, how does he do that work in us to prepare us? How does he do that work in us to make us completely efficient and effective in that work? That desire absolutely comes first. John 5, 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there, this was a man who had been paralyzed for a long time. He, he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? You need to ask yourself today, I need to ask myself, am I willing to be used completely by God? If you answer yes, then, then God can you. He can equip you. He can grow you for that. Do you want to get well? Psalm 34, 6 says this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. God needs a willing heart. He needs a surrendered life and then he can do the work. He can make that which is ordinary extraordinary. He can make that which is corrupt very useful. He can make that which is weak, strong. You know, at Paul's, my mother, she likes to have these these fancy dinners when we come together as a family for holidays. And and my brother and I, we've been the same for a long time. So my mother will get out all this fancy silverware and uh, char. Y'all know what chargers are? It's like a plate under a plate. What what's up with that? Right? Is it like really messy eaters need a plate under a plate and, uh, you know but she gets out all the fancy stuff and and she gets out these fancy hoity-toity glasses and and my brother and I bring our quick trip cups to the table right you know my mother should have figured it out now I'm 54 years old I'm not going to change right but those quick trip cups don't belong on her fancy table So we have somebody over at our house. Beth wants to get out these glasses, right? These are our nice glasses, but but I want one of these, right? I mean, but did you guess what the verse said? Some vessels are made out of gold and silver, some out of wood, or in this case, glass and plastic. Uh, the, these vessels, gold and silver, are more noble. They're more useful. They're more efficient. They're more effective. The wood and glass, not that wood and, and clay are bad, not that plastic is bad, but, but it's not what God intends you for. It's not the best life you can live, see. God intends for us uh, to be willing, if we are willing, He intends to grow us into the best existence of our life. The best use of our life is to use our life completely for His service. 
that in doing that, that makes us uh, who he needs us to be. And how do we do that? We flee ungodly habits and we embrace godly habits. So it's a lifestyle makeover that makes all the difference, that changes us from wood and clay into gold and silver, that changes us from a quick trip cup to a best cup. See what I'm saying? And, and so God needs us as we're willing, we're willing to be used. He also needs us to be willing uh, to have our lifestyle made over the things that we do. Those temptations he needs us to say no to. Those positive habits, those positive uh, lifestyle choices he needs us to make. It's making and growing these godly habits that first come with our desire and then allowing God to teach us, to train us, having others who can disciple us, can show us, be examples for us, and us growing into being examples, mentors, role models ourselves. That's how the process works. That's how it's always worked. And then the last uh, characteristic here of approved workers, I think it's kind of surprising, but I, I think it's vital for us to hear. God's approved workers are gentle with adversaries. They're gentle with adversaries. Verse 22 to 26. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. See, he's come full circle. I think he's saying, don't have anything to do with arguments over gray areas because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful. Those are godly habits. Kind to everyone, able to teach. Uh, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Now, I think when he says opponents, I think he means both people who are temporarily misled in the church the people who maybe as a Christian brother or sister are, are kind of hyper, they're, they're making the a gray area a test of fellowship. But I also think he's talking about the way you interact with people who are non-Christians, the people who don't know Christ yet, the people who maybe make fun of you because you're a Christian or question your intellectual acuity because you're a Christian. Our human nature is to do what? It's to be defensive. Our human nature is to get angry, to get agitated, to fight back. But he said, no, no. Basically, these verses are an exposition of the proverb that says, a kind answer turns away wrath. As I said earlier, it takes two to fight. You can stand in black and white truth with grace. You can stand in and with and for black and white truth with gentleness and I commend that to you so how about it can all of us live a life blessed by God can all of us be used by God you might say to me well I don't know you don't know the things I've done the things I've thought the choices that I've made 
I'll tell you sometime, and <coughs> I want to tell you, I'm not just saying it. If God can use me, he can use anybody. I've done about everything wrong you can do in my life, and yet he still, by his grace, saved me and uses me. And so he can you. 1986, Bob Brindley was playing third base for the San Francisco Giants. In the fourth inning of a game against the Atlanta Braves, Brindley made an error on a routine ground ball. Four batters later, he kicked away another grounder. And then while he was scrambling after the ball, he threw wildly past home plate, trying to get the runner there. Two errors on the same play. Four errors in one inning. It set a record. He became the first player in the 20th century to make four errors in one inning, giving away four runs. Can you imagine what it must have felt like as he walked to the dugout at the end of that inning? That's the kind of record you don't want to set. Now, those of us who have made very public errors in life, in situations, we can't imagine. But in the bottom of the fifth, after the fourth, in the bottom of the fifth, Brindley hit a home run. And then in the seventh, he hit a bases loaded single, driving in, driving in two runs and tying the game. And wouldn't you know it, he came up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, tie score, three and two, and he hits a home run and wins the game for his team. His total for that game, not a boring game. Three for five, two runs scored, four RBIs, including the game-winning RBI and home run, but also four errors and four runs allowed. All that to say that all of us have made errors and you know what? You probably will going forward. But if you are focused on and willing to be used by the king, then you're going to be on the game-winning team. And God's going to do some heroics through you, despite the errors that you've made. If you are willing, he is able. Nevertheless, fathers, we think about these things today. I pray that you've encouraged us, you've challenged us, you've helped us maybe to see. Maybe it's been a, a big insight today that we have felt meaningless or purposeless, and this gives us direction. I firmly believe that all of us uh, will despair unless we find our purpose, unless we find our meaning. And I believe that you teach us in this passage and in others that our purpose is to love you and to serve you, to be used by you, to help us respond. First, by becoming a Christian if we're not. But if we are, help us to respond by, by renewing our willingness to be used to serve by renewing our willingness to be developed, to be grown, to be mentored, to put away and flee from bad habits of our youth, 
to embrace godly habits that you lay out for us. I pray this today. In